Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. The Ad News Podcast. The podcast that celebrates the industry's penchant for a sociable drop and a chat. Hello and welcome to the latest Ad News Podcast which today is being produced by Nova and sponsored by The Trading Desk. I'm Arvin Hickman, a journalist at Ad News, and today we're going to take a look into the future to see how technology of tomorrow will radically change marketing and the challenges facing the creative and media industries. Today I'm joined by WPP AUNZ Chief Strategy Officer Rose Herseg. Rose is a futurist and will take us through some of the space-age technology that could radically shake up marketing in the next decade or so. Also on today's panel, we are joined by Maxis Australia CEO Mark McRae, who will provide a media perspective, and Creative Director Simon Collins from the WPP AUNZ Consultancy, 1 Kent Street. Welcome to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Arvind. Now, today's podcast breaks from normal convention. Rather than tackling current issues, we're going to be doing some crystal ball gazing. We're going to learn how top secret technology could shake up the media and marketing world. And I must warn you folks, some of this stuff today is pretty scary. How will media and creative agencies adapt in a world where there's no barrier between the human mind and machine learning? Well, Rose is an expert in this space and has recently spent time with the US military to learn more about some of their latest developments. These were the guys, after all, who invented the internet. And that's revolutionised how we communicate today. So what's next? Rose, I'd like to hand over to you to give us a rundown on what you've recently discovered. Sure, Arvind. Well, as you said, I've spent a little bit of time with DARPA, which stands for the Defence Advanced Research Projects Agency. Those Americans love their acronyms. And these are the guys who invent all of the really big stuff. As you pointed out, they've invented the internet, they've invented cloud technology, they've invented GPRS unlike Google Maps, which is what everybody under the age of 18 thinks. So these are the guys who are part of the US military, the Department of Defense, and they invent big stuff. And on my recent trip to the United States, I got to see some of the new and emerging technologies and they're extraordinary. And the thing that I probably liked the most that I saw was something called GBT or gate biometric technology. And in layman's terms, this technology through scanning a person in 3D, and I mean their entire body, their head, the way that they walk, their gait, whether they put their arms on their hips, how they tilt their head, the distance of their stride can actually predict how that person behaves. And that's extraordinary. You can predict whether they vote left wing or right wing, whether they're religious or not, whether they spend a lot of money or not. And that, of course, is of great interest to all marketers around the world. And I don't know what uh, Simon and Mark think, but I mean, that from my point of view is thrilling for marketing because you were actually doing predictive modelling in an entirely new way. 
How, how do they actually do that? Do they give you an, an idea into how the technology actually works? So you walk through a very, very big scanning machine. Think about the big screens that you walk through when you go to any airport. And obviously that's the reason for doing this. They're militarising this technology to keep America safe and away from the hands and the clutches of terrorism. But you literally walk through a great big 3D machine and this 3D machine takes hundreds of images and you get this image report printed out, a bit like a big old x-ray machine that literally measures and analyzes your gait. So this is kind of thing that you could install at the entrance to a shopping mall. Exactly right, Simon. So, so that when people walk in, instantly it's computed and al algorithmized to the point where retailers can go, aha, here's a live one. So that old phrase, we saw you coming. <laughs> um, actually, add some add some meat to that. Does that's it? That's exactly right. So if, you, if we they... didn't just see you coming, we now know what we can charge you. Well, that's <laughs> it. And if they know that I'm into high fashion, they will give me wayfaring technology that gets me to the expensive stores, Chanel, Jimmy Choo, etc., etc. And maybe if you're into home hardware, they send you there. So if we're trying to put a positive spin on this, we're saying it's actually beneficial to the consumer, saves you time. Well, it is, if you're okay with the ethical issues of somebody reading your mind. We won't even touch that one, but in the short term, it is about really giving people what they want because you know how they're going to spend their money. I think the other big part is um, home shopping over the internet. Now you know all your sizes, how it's going to work. That could actually be a great thing for... could be bad for Australia Post because there won't be any returns, but at least you know you're going to get the perfect fit when you try and close on virtually. It's so. interesting. It sounds to me like a kind of a digital extrapolation of something that used to be called phrenology. In, the, in, in Victorian and Edwardian times, there was a quite a substantial body of um, scientists who believed that literally feeling the bumps on someone's head could determine their character. But we're talking about a much more sophisticated version of that. We are, because if you think about it at a military level, if you can predict who is bad or has ill intent and you weed them out of the lines at the airports, you can prevent another 9-11. There's, there's all kind of benefits, but not necessarily ones that you would necessarily mean it could be monetized straight away but yeah. for example retailers presumably when shoplifters enter a store <laughs> they there's that's something right. about them where they move that is that kind of reveals their intent all that, sounds very big it. brother so you could get arrested before you've even nicked it <laughs> the, the, the shop detective come up to you and say excuse me sir we know you're going to steal something please leave but, but that, but <laughs> so that's everybody interesting. wins yeah well that's it but what's really interesting about this that it is literally predictive modeling which is the next frontier right that's what we're talking mm. about as marketers how do we predict what people will do and how they will behave and therefore how they will spend and that'll change the game it'll change business models, marketing models, ad agency models, you name it. I must admit, when I first heard it, when you first mentioned this this particular tech, I have to say when you said it was, it was gate biometric, I thought it was something that would read your mind based on how you open a gate. <laughs> and uh, so I thought there was a very limited, a limited application, but now that you've described it in full, I can see a whole world of difference it could make. How might, how might <clears> this <throat> be used in a creative context, Simon? Well, I don't know. I suppose... Uh, I've recently been involved in some political advertising and I, I'm wondering whether it could sort of, you know, depending on whether you drift to the left or the right when you walk, uh, it, could, it could tell what kind of, what, you know, be much more reliable than an exit poll, wouldn't it? When people came out of an, out of an exit poll and just drifted to the left, you wouldn't have to ask them how they voted. Or the centre. Or the centre, yeah. And what about so, from a media perspective, Mark? I think the same thing about reading people's minds and predictive polling um, is a good part. The other thing is I'd like to know how you could use it for one of our clients like Hungry Jacks when you're hungry. Mm. How can we target customers when they're walking past and saying, hey, there's a special offer right now, depending on a light eat or a heavy eat with our beautiful burgers? I mean, I, like a lot of people, you know, I'm 
reason to be sceptical about lots of things. And I would question mm. the reliability of it. I mean, it, I'm sure that, look, if the US are working on it, the military, I'm sure that there are, there's, some, there's, some, um, there's some truth to it. But I would question how reliable, just, I mean, it does, be, it does beg the questions of, really? That just the way you walk can determine how much, well, how much, let me say this, how much the, disposable income you have, what your intentions are. Um, the one they did for me was like 99% accurate. Okay. Terrifying. But, wow, that but, is terrifying. But, terrifying, right? But I think the issue is the ethical and legislative barriers. Because don't forget, what I'm discussing hasn't gone through any ethical discussion or legislative discussion. And the question is, should we let any technology go inside a person's head? Because that's private space. I think we'll come back to that. But just before we do, perhaps you can take us through some of the other pieces of tech that the US military is working on that could be applied in a marketing context. One of the ones I love is this thing called BOLT, Broad Operational Language Translation, another acronym. And this is where you can take a beta serum 47, a type of serum compound that can allow you to speak another language without going to language school, believe it or not. Wow. Being currently tested on the five most spoken languages, English, Spanish, Hindustani, Arabic and Mandarin. Mandarin. Wow, this is, this is truly astonishing. Yeah. When I was a kid, this is what we used to call a superpower. You know, when you're a kid, you say, what superpower would you have? If you were, most kids would say, I want to be invisible or I want to fly. But I used to say, I want to be able to speak any language. That was my superpower because I knew I'd grow up to be a copywriter on international brands. And I knew it would be an enormous help to avoid going down the path of developing campaigns based on, you know, on languages which make them have limited export potential mm. but this sounds fantastic well this is it think about the transformation on the business community I and mean, we're part of a global network and oftentimes we have to get on the phone with our colleagues in china their second language is english now none of us speak mandarin or cantonese this would be really fantastic i think it has broad applications for the travel tourism business community you wouldn't have to worry about face-to-face -face conference calls where you pick up a lot of nuances of second language um, if if you're airline you can inject the serum before you get on get off the other end and fill out the form of how to get through customs but how brilliant would that be but it sounds like a kind of magic yes <laughs> Well, it is, yeah. but then the internet today and the way we use it is magical. If we go back now, if we time travelled back to 1945, there wasn't a single person in the world that would actually believe that the internet would do what it does currently do. So this sounds fantastical, but the world is made up of people who make the fantastical real. I must, I must admit that when you, again, you know, acronyms are such a trap. When you said, when you said it was called Bolt, I was thinking of some kind of application. You could inject sort of the essence of Andrew Bolt into you. I was thinking of you saying <laughs> So you'd become, you'd become a, you know, a right-wing bigot. That's, Instantly. That's funny how you think of Andrew Bolt and Mark here thinks of you saying. I was thinking of going faster. <laughs> ah, well, there you go. See, I watch too much Sky. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder, though, with this technology, because obviously being able to translate a language verbatim is one thing, but does it also allow you to pick up on the cultural nuances and, and those sorts of things? Look, I would say no. I speak a couple of languages. I grew up in a household speaking three, so I still do to this day. It's, the again, the subtext to the context. Nobody's going to be able to give you a drug for that. And the body language that goes along with the words. I mean, if I use a word in Croatian, for example, or Italian, they can have different meanings depending on the context of the use of that word. So I'm sure these are things they're ironing out and figuring out. But I think the concept of global villages being so small, this is what this does, makes the world tiny. And for writers like Simon to be able to use this to write in another language, or for people like Mark who have to talk to the world through media, it would transform the game. If you were being negative, you could say it's yet another nail in the coffin of, um, of cultural uh, individuality, I suppose. But 
the um, I'm sure the French will um, hate it. <clears throat> I imagine the, the US military are using it specifically to allow their intelligence mm. people to, to finally understand what the British are talking about. Because, you know, they, I mean, I, having lived there for 10 years, I regard myself as being bilingual. I do speak English and American. But I was looking ahead thinking, <coughs> I've got two young girls, so do I teach them how to learn another language at school now? Uh, and the the future that they could have in 25 years, they could have this just like the internet well, it's, and then travel anywhere and do anything they want in it's their exactly, career. It's exactly what GPS has done to map reading. Yes, mm, that's right. You know, when, you know, 25 years ago, we all used to buy these big bits of paper when we went, when we went anywhere. Turn them upside down. And, 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 now, and now we just look at a screen. Yeah. You know, um, um, it's destroying the, you know, taxis, you know. I guess in, in Australian context, if you think about this specific technology, we have such a large multicultural population and this really, from a media planning perspective, I can imagine it will open new doors. It will allow you to really go and, and, and cover the whole community. Well, I think even you could actually change the way you view television or the internet or anything like that or, or um, online sites by being able to read them in a foreign language or hear them in a foreign language. So that would be an interesting output rather than having dedicated special channels. Mm. So every channel could become universal and it's up to you to be able to understand it based on Rosetta, the Rosetta, serum you've had. Rosetta Stone and Babel must be quaking in their boots <laughs> when they've heard about this. One of the other ones that I saw, you are asking me, Arvind, about all the cool things I saw. There was, there was one thing that they're working on um, which is the food crime unit. They want to give the same legislative oversight that, say, a actual crime, a, a, a physical crime, a sexual crime is given to food. So, in other words, there's a lot of discussion about the provenance of food and where food comes from. And there was recently a case, I think in Chicago, where middle school children got sick from cafeteria food and they figured out that they got sick from the cheese, but the cheese had come from 20 different manufacturers of cheese into the one block of cheese. So they couldn't track down where the botulism originated. And given the role of food in our society, obesity, the quality of food, there is a conversation about making people who perpetrate crimes against food an actual crime. This, a lot of us have clients who are in the FMCG market, food producers, food retailers, food manufacturers. This, to me, is truly revolutionary. Wow. I mean, uh, there's an assumption that consumers have this assumption now that um, advertising is regulated so, so closely that, you know, nobody, nobody tells lies or or uh, misinforms about things like ingredients and contents. But uh, the are you suggesting is, that's not the case, Simon? <clears throat> well, it clearly hasn't been. I mean, there, there are some very high-profile examples of, uh, in the UK, supermarkets. Uh, the biggest supermarket chains um, were found to have been selling what was purportedly beef, turned out to be horse meat mm -hmm. uh, for, for several years. And it was not just horse meat, but it was horse meat of dubious provenance. that had, you know, It hadn't, wasn't beef grown in Britain, it was horse meat raised somewhere in Eastern Europe. So, um, you know, every now and then these things... I don't know why people are shocked when it happens because, uh, as, as Rose says, the, the, the food industry is such a complex chain of supply. People are quite right to, to want to, to be more clearly informed as to where things come from and what they contain. So does that make marketing more honest and more accountable? Yeah, of course, it should do. Anything, anything that adds to that is a, is a good thing. Uh, but it, no, it's not just in the food area, you know, it's... Uh, you know, um, there are spurious claims all over the, um, um, advertising these days, in, in, even in the so-called well-policed media like free-to-air and so on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the whole thing about anti-aging, for example. There's a yeah. whole category of products, to, you know, not food products, but anti-aging products, which that in itself is a lie. Nothing can anti-age you. You can't get younger. Whatever you put on your face and skin and hair, it won't make you younger. That's not true. 
Uh, and then there's a whole sector of um, alternative medicine, uh, which I suspect, you know, certainly in my working lifetime, there will be legislation which um, stops people making claims about a lot of naturopathic products which um, can't be sustained, approved in, by, by science. So how does marketing and advertising adapt to a more accountable um, layer of quality control? Where consumers can actually see what, what their products are rather than rely on, on claims. Look, I think we need to have better conversations with our clients because if a client knows they're going to jail if they break the laws about food, then they're going to take it really seriously. And so we need to actually look them in dead in the eye, have a conversation and say, okay, let's talk about the provenance of this food. Where was it grown? How was it grown? Was it frozen? Has it been in a refrigerator for three years before it's come to a shelf at Coles, Woolies, Aldi, soon to be Amazon? And we've got to have those conversations out in the open because I think a lot of this stuff gets through because nobody wants to really talk about what we're talking about. And if they know they're going to be held seriously accountable, I'm not talking about fines, I'm talking about jail, then that's going to change the whole ball game. I think mm-hmm. the other thing is, with the amount of food that comes from all over the world now, at least this could provide a central regulatory way of actually understanding. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. ...standing where the food has come from and how it's come from. So, yeah. so if you go to your, you know, um, Woolworths or Coles or Aldi, you will see packaging made a lot of products from all over the world. This yeah. one could be a central control unit of how you actually get commonality of testing and quality. Standardisation, yeah, mm-hmm. across borders. That's, that's very good. But, I mean, the um, you know, in defence of our industry, when people ask me to describe what I do, and this hasn't really changed from the uh, analogue to the digital era, is that we, and if you like, I'm at the sharp end of it in the creative area, we are essentially performing the same role as barristers. When you're a barrister and you're given a client and he's accused of murdering someone... It's not your job to decide whether or not he did the mur- he murdered mm-hmm. this person or not. The, the 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 legal system is set up in such a way as that it's up to you to defend him, to use the evidence selectively to give him the best possible defence. And you might get him off, even though you know you you know full well that, that he probably did it. But that's you know your role, and in a sense, that our role in a in a in a free market capitalist society is to, when clients come to us with the product, we may not particularly like the product, or may not, we may not even believe that it claims to do what it says it does, but if the law says it can say it, in a sense, our job is simply to present the evidence in the most favourable and engaging and compelling possible light. One of the other things I saw at DARPA, which I loved, was BIR. This was called Brain Image Reconstruction. Now, this blew my mind. This is effectively, put a skull cap on, and whatever visual image is in your head gets pumped out to a printer. So if I'm in the market for a beautiful wedding dress and I'm trying to describe it to a designer, I don't need to anymore because they can just put this cap on my head and there's a picture of exactly the dress I want. Now think what this could do for kitchen design, for anything. Language and words are often a poor substitute for visualisations of things. I thought this was extraordinary. I don't know what the boys think. Well, I, I, it sends shivers down my spine because it, it, it's, it, I, feel like, I, feel like a, I feel like an old-fashioned taxi driver who's been just... Someone's just explained Uber to... <laughs> You know, uh, you know, I've made a career 
and put through kids through school, helping people who find it hard to visualise things to do it. I do it for them. And I'll put it on TV or I'll put it on radio. Or if you're saying that there's something going to come along that, that gives that power to the consumer, listen, I might as well just ring Uber today. <laughs> I, I thought when Rose first told me about this... Um I thought it'd be great for Bunnings. Can you imagine when you get something, you have to fix something, you go, how do I fix it? I don't know. You can't read the instructions properly. It doesn't work. Yet you're in your head, you can transpose that. Mm. And uh, someone like Bunnings with their kitchen designs or how to, how to build a cubby house or a pergola or whatever it is would be a great thing. And we'll put this gold cap on and this will show you how to do it and this is what I want to do. This well, is my kitchen space. This is my backyard. Well, Imagine that. The good thing, you know, I won't ring Uber just yet because the good thing is Rose showed me a picture of somebody with this I mean you, you, you throw away the little term skullcap as if it's a tiny little sort of yamical type thing <laughs> but we're talking here about it looks like you've got your heads covered in electrodes and a spaghetti like arrangement of wires it's not so attractive it, so until they <laughs> until they can miniaturise it um, I feel you know more or less safe I don't think uh I don't think people are going to be um, walking around and, and also mobilise it because presumably you're strapped you, you'll be wired up to a huge um a huge computer or something. You are, you are. But it is interesting. Again, what all this conversation is about is where it's really going. And I'm, look, I'm fascinated by the leaps and bounds that these great technologists are making. These are scientists who are pure mathematicians and they build algorithms and then theoretical physicists. I think our industry can actually learn a lot from what uh, they're I think, doing. Uh, yeah, I think when you're starting to do things like looking into someone's mind and, and taking away private thought and, and sort of transposing that into an image, that really opens up a, a huge can ethical of worms issue. ethically. And, and I really want to discuss the ethical side of all these different advances in technology and, and where you sort of stand in this. Because, you know, if, if it's just pretty much allowed to be applied willy-nilly, it, it, could, it could cause all sorts of problems. Yeah. Well, go ahead, uh, Look, I, I'm a huge believer in, in privacy and I'm a civil libertarian to be sure. I think if you give away a little bit of privacy, it's easier to just chip away at it and chip away at it. I'm still amazed at how many Australians are comfortable with the government knowing everything about them in the, sa- in the idea of being saved from terrorism. I think we need to have ethicists legislators, the private sector and government sit in a room and figure out what is okay and what is absolutely not because I don't know that I want anybody inside my head. I think about the practical applications of me having an evil thought for four seconds about somebody and that's Mm. somebody knowing. But I think you're not typical, Rose, and I mean that in the nicest possible way. I think that a lot of people don't value privacy. If you, if you, uh, and and particularly now, you know, whenever some technology comes along which seems as if it might threaten or in, threaten your privacy or intrude on your personal space, there's always um, you know, a quite understandable outcry from people who want to limit that kind of thing. But if you think back to the way technology has affected media in the past, before radio came in, the idea that you know, having people, strangers' voices in your home, in your home at the weekend with your family, that'll, you know, people won't stand for it. Of course they did. In fact, they, you know, they sucked it up. And mm. then television came along exactly... What, actually having people standing in your li- in the corner of your living room talking at you you know that's just that's just you know that's well, but of course we we love it and and the truth is these days nobody wants you know people like we we you know if there ever was a sense of this is my space it's been hugely diminished by digital technology well, everybody wants to be followed by twitter nobody wants a small yeah. twitter following <laughs> right, the best example is facebook yeah. the amount of information people put on facebook with kids their photos their children their family what they did last weekend it's amazing it's an amazing resource to wash against your database to find out 
what type of car owner they are, what type of mortgage they've got. So already, in a lot of ways, to Rose's point about uh, civil liberties, yeah, some people just don't care. And, and that, that, that has changed enormously. I mean, you talk about Facebook. I remember, you know, when I grew up, if you were at a party at the weekend, there's a bunch of teenagers. If anybody pulled out a camera, one of those great big black things that people used to have, um, all the girls in the room would go, oh, no, no, don't take a picture of me. Don't take a picture of me. They didn't want to be photographed. There was a sort of sense of modesty or shyness, whatever. Mm. Now, people can't do enough selfies. They're everywhere. Um, the whole idea of, you know, I don't want people to look at me is gone. People want complete strangers, and the more of them, the better to look at them. But while there's been many positives from social media, um, Facebook, Twitter and the like, there's also been many pitfalls. Let's mm-hmm. face it, there has been. Um, a lot of people are probably more narcissistic than they used to be. Absolutely. Kim Kardashian would still have her jewellery. That's right. That's she right. wasn't on Facebook and Twitter telling the world where she could be for that little heist in Paris. Look, I think the thing that has happened the most, you raise it, Arvind, is the decrease, the increase in cruelty and the ability to remain anonymous. And that, to me, is the greatest social yeah. tragedy of social media. If somebody can't say it to your face, they s- certainly shouldn't be saying it on a social channel. The civility is going in our society, the kindness, the gentleness, the lack of judgment, the idea that you can comment on what somebody's wearing, how they look, where they went, because you're anonymous. And mm-hmm. that, to me, is horrifying. So, so with these new developments, is it necessary? I mean, they could be a force for bad, really. When, when you think about it, if we're going to even expose more of ourselves and have even less privacy. From, from a from a um, from an ad, from a an advertiser's point of view, all these technologies, are, you know, what they essentially do is help you to sharpen your approach, help you to target exactly. more specifically. Exactly. And, the, and the big defense of anything that's algorithm based mm-hmm. is that it it, it is ultimately it allows you to uh, avoid wastage. You're only targeting. You know, more and more accurately, as each year comes and each new technology arrives, you, it helps you to target more specifically. And the I, and I suppose you know, there's a there's a there's a there's a danger in that for people like myself, creative people, in that the more uh, the more sharply and accurately your your messages are targeted in a, in, a, in a demographic sense, the less the less the need for a very compelling and engaging piece of content surrounding your messaging. You know, if everybody that you're talking to is already positively predisposed towards your category and your product and your particular uh, product or service, then you don't have to be funny or romantic or sexy or, 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 or escapist to get people to buy, to buy into it. Now, that may well be true, but what kind of shelf life does a brand have which only appeals, which only, which only preaches to people who are already predisposed? At the end of the day, in an increasingly competitive market, whatever the sector is, you're only going to stay, stay relevant if you're constantly reaching out to democratics <laughs> who currently don't know you exist, who currently are on the fence, who haven't decided which way they're going to go. So that there will always be a role which I don't think any of this technology has yet eliminated. Um, there'll always be a role for, if you like, human content, uh, creativity, for want of a better word. I think broadcast media will always survive in some shape or form. It might be less or more. Yeah. Um, Television was meant to kill radio. It didn't. It didn't. Uh, Radio was meant to kill newspapers. It hasn't. It's now newspapers are now reforming on an online platform. So the written word is still powerful. So it'll just be a percentage of how much you spend in broadcast media to still strive to get the people that don't like your brand into be liking your brand. What about in terms of in terms of linear TV and then sort of prescribed um, scheduling, if you like, whether it be a programmer um, coming up with a TV lineup of shows or whether it be a newspaper putting together 
the top news articles of a day. Does that all become redundant in, in this new world where pretty much we know what you think and what you want? I think it basically the media will have to adapt to what people want not what they necessarily think. Now, the other thing is to that is, to Simon's point, sometimes you may not know what you want until you've well, experienced it. Mm. Th- th- this is, again, where, you know, certainly Rose and perhaps all of us in this room don't aren't representative of consumers in that, you know, we, you know, this assumption that people want to make their own decisions. An awful lot of people don't. Mm. An awful lot of people want to be guided, want to be steered and, and, and welcome it. And, you know, let's face it, armies couldn't recruit people if people didn't like being told what to do. Well, the thing, the great thing about humankind is that oftentimes people don't know what they want. Oftentimes you can't predict behaviour. And the great beauty of life is that how awful and boring would it be if you could predict everything that everybody does, everything that everybody wants, that would be the death of all innovation. So I, as much as I am a futurist and I look at all this technology, I am still stunned at how much we all get wrong. And also, you know, people don't want to sweat the small stuff. If, you, if you're faced with six or seven identical FMCG brands in a supermarket, do you really want to have to start from scratch and go, now, which one do I really want? They're all essentially going to deliver the same benefit. If something about the way it's been marketed to you, appealed to you, that's, that, that's done. That's a decision made, made for you. It hasn't made you an idiot. It hasn't made you brainless. It's just you've, you haven't sweated the small stuff. That's been done by somebody else for you. So how does this amend business models for your agencies in particular going forward? Well, I think um, our philosophy at Maxis is we lead change and we embrace change. So this is just reaffirming that we need to, over the next 25 years or how long it takes, be on top of the change and be aware of it and, to Simon's point, make our clients aware about how they could use this down the track for their own benefit. Yeah. And maybe sometimes we may not use it because it might be rele- might not be relevant or might be unethical depending on the client. That's right. Mm. You know, businesses in general, listed companies especially, they like tidiness. They like things to be clean. This is a messy time we're living in and there's great beauty in the mess, right? So there's money to be made in the messiness of new business models coming to the fore. As long as we as a business can go, you know what, it's not all going to be clean and tidy. Things are going to come and go. Things are going to have to join up. Things are going to break. Things are going to work. Oh, there's a new revenue stream we didn't know we could monetize. As long as we're sort of relaxed enough to rock and roll a little bit with it rather than be completely stitched and nervous, we'll be fine. And I think that's really a good way of summing up WPPAUNZ. I mean, they've got a futurist running around the corridors, for goodness sake. You know, that's... that's And she does run. (laughs) In high heel shoes, no less. (laughs) So that does speak to a business that is open-minded because I think if you want to set things in concrete, that's just crazy. You know, Mark knows in the media world, businesses are changing constantly. Simon knows in the creative world, nothing is set in stone. Nothing is set in stone. Do you have any more concluding thoughts, Simon and Mark? Well, I think the the thing about um, WPPAUNZ is that Simon and Rose, in our past lives, we've all run into each other and now we're all together. So it makes it really easy for me as a CEO of a media agency to say to Rose, and recently we had a pitch in Melbourne, Rose, I need your help. So the connectivity and the ability to drag in some thought-provoking thinking, some will dismiss, some will take on board, is an ideal for us for our business at Maxis to make sure that we are connected to the future, the current, and leverage, um, leverage what is the best practice in the group um, overseas. So from that point of view, we're really excited about the horizontality that we're working with at the moment. My only, my only um, word of, if you like, caution about all this would be to clients not to too much store in, in the whole algorithm-based tech um, 
artillery, uh, 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 armory, if you like. For the, for the same, you know, we, we, we've, we've had this huge, big events, international events in the last year, uh, Brexit and the Trump uh, election. And what, what came out of those two big events, one of the things that came out of it was how hopelessly wrong a lot of the so-called experts had been because they had they'd existed in what we now call it the media bubble, the particular media bubble, which only allowed them to see what, what the, the opinions that agreed with them. So politicians were, you know, going drifting along thinking, oh, everything's fine, everybody seems to think what I think, they're all going to vote for me. Ain't going to be the case. Politicians, like brands, need to grow. They need to reach out to new, uh, new audiences, new, new demographics, new targets. And um, the only danger with what is a, essentially a brilliant thing, algorithm, is that it can, it can focus you too, too, too narrowly and that you start limiting your shelf life for that very reason. That's the only broad cautionary note I would strike. Rose? Well, I think, you know, Mark said it best. We have 80 companies at WPPAUNZ, 5,500 people. Our whole mantra is to collaborate in order to improve the quality of the thinking. We're at our best when we're challenging each other intellectually. For thinking the stuff that we've talked about today, all this does is raises the bar of conversation and the, the diligence of really smart strategic conversation. That is the job. The words horizontality might be a bit clunky, but it's how we roll. And for me, any conversation about the future is healthy because it gets us thinking. Even if we dismiss all of it, it doesn't matter. At least we've considered it. I just want to say at this point that Horizontality, which is a very much a WPPAUNZ proprietary tool, is not planking. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for those final thoughts, guys. Interesting time ahead. Um, who knows where all this will end, but one thing is clear. Technology will continue to disrupt media and marketing, and hopefully for the greater good. I'd like to thank Mark, Rose and Simon for joining us today. I'd like to thank the good folk at Nova for helping produce this Ad News podcast and for the Trading Desk for supporting us. Thank you for joining us. This is Arvind Hickman. Have a good day. 